Welcome to Guilty as Charged, the law behind the crimes. Exploring law and public policy relevant to criminal law here in Arizona, where nothing is out of bounds and all perspectives are considered. All right, welcome to another episode of Guilty as Charged. I'm your host, Jake Brown. We're excited to get into the law behind the crimes again with some new guests we'll introduce in just a second. Today, we're going to be talking about some property crimes, really focusing on shoplifting and organized retail theft. You know, this is a very important topic, very timely. It's expected, assumed, that about $50 billion annually is lost in the United States from shoplifting or retail theft-associated crimes. That's over 500,000 incidents a day, and we've especially seen in the news recently stores closing, reducing hours, having to put in new protective or, or new systems to ensure that they don't suffer this much loss. So we're going to get into the laws in Arizona, kind of compared to some other states, how it's affecting businesses, and what we expect to see going forward. As always, if you have any good ideas for a future topic, reach out to me on Twitter. You can reach out to us on Facebook, or if you know me, you know, reach out directly through a text or an email. And just uh, as always, a reminder that our views are our own and not of our any of employers, our clients, or any other organizations or any of the organizations our guests are associated with. With that said, we are excited to have Doug Mangum and Mike Powell on. We're going to let them each introduce themselves in a second. And Mike is also part of an organization called ORCA, the Organized Retail Crime Association, the AZ ORCA. And we'll ask him to briefly introduce that as well as he gets started. Doug, you there? I am. Thanks, Jeff. All right, Doug. Do you, want, do you mind introducing yourself real quick? I'd love to. Uh, my name's Doug Mangum. I've been a prosecutor for almost 10 years. And over the last about seven years, focused a lot on fraud, specifically organized retail theft and shoplifting. I think this is a great, timely topic, something I'm, I've been involved with quite a bit. I started out in high school. I worked in a grocery store. So I, I kind of got the perspective from retail aspect and then coming up through law school and now the last few years working here, I've enjoyed my partnership with various retailers, law enforcement, as we try and combat organized retail theft and shoplifting here in Maricopa County. Thank you, Doug. I was a little worried there when you were talking about your experience with shoplifting. You mentioned high school that maybe you were going <laughs> to admit to a crime, but I'm glad you went where you went. So, Mike, are you, are you there and you want to introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, Jake. Thanks. Appreciate the opportunity to come on today. Yeah, I'm Mike Powell with the Grover Company. I'm a senior organized retail crime manager for Kruger. I've been with the company a little over 10 years, and I'm a leader of uh, ORC managers across the, the nation that work organized retail crime cases. The overall goal of our team is to uh, diligently work to disrupt and dismantle organized uh, criminal networks and ORC activities. So we're excited to be here today. Uh, just a little bit back before Kruger, I spent 26 years with Tempe Police Department and uh, retired back in 2012. So I'm glad to be here. Perfect. Thank you. Can you talk to us a little bit about AZ Orca as well and what that is and, and how you're involved? Yes. AZ Orca, or the Arizona Retail Crime Association, is the membership is made up of retail and law enforcement investigators. It's a collaborative effort or partnership to work organized retail crime investigations. We have monthly membership meetings, and we also have an online platform so we can share the intelligence involved in organized retail crime better work these cases, uh, you know, around Maricopa County, around the state, wherever these cases may may come past that we need to work on. So it's a, it's a great organization, and I'd encourage your 
your folks out there that listen to your podcast, if they're in this industry, to reach out, and uh, we'd love to have them join our association. Perfect. Thank you. Well, let's jump right in because I, I know, Mike, you talked a lot just now about the organized crime or the organized retail theft and some of your goals in that area. Doug, maybe we can ask, in Arizona, we have a ORT or an organized retail theft statute. Not every state has one. What is the difference between like a simple shoplift and more of an organized retail theft or, or, or what we might call ORT? Yeah. So, you know, shoplift, a lot of people, the easy explanation of shoplift is you go into a grocery store, you go into really any store, you know, maybe a kid puts a, a candy bar in his pocket and, and walks out and just fails to pay for it. And then he eats the candy bar. That could be a, a simple shoplift incident. Organized retail theft is a little bit more. It, it's shoplifting plus. Organized retail theft is whether it's an individual working alone or with someone else going into retail stores. And instead of removing, say, just one candy bar or one item, they're removing 20 or 30 of them. And then they're coming out and then they're selling them to their friends on the street, you know, using the candy bar scenario. We see there, there's a lot of different products, whether it's baby formula, whether it's liquor, whether it's Tide, lots of different commodities are being stolen by criminals. But it's not just a oh, I'm stealing it because I'm hungry or because I need it, then turning around and selling it to what we call a, a fencing operation or you know someone else who is buying that stolen product and then further distributing it out internationally and nationally. We've tracked groups that have been networking and then they're, you know, for example, formula is an easy one where individuals were stealing large amounts of formula from the various grocery stores, retail stores, Walmart, Fry's, Target, and then they were running carloads. We're looking at about 500 cans or tubs of, of baby formula over to California where they were being further aggregated and then palletized and sent out across the country and across over national or over international waters to, to other places for large amounts of money that were being sold at, at substantially higher profits in the Middle East and other places. So what specifically in the statute is it that makes it organized? Is it the reselling afterwards? Is it the, the transmitting it over, you know, out of county or out of state? Is it the number of people involved? What distinguishes shoplift specifically from the, the organized retail theft? Yeah. And, and Mike can jump in here just a minute as well and talk about that. But it's it's the fact that these groups were, it's not just a, an individual committing a crime or taking it, but that generally they're working in larger groups. And then they're also with the intent to resell that item. The statute does allow for using an artifice or a device as well, but generally it's because they're, they're groups of individuals that are working with what we call fencing operations or, or e-commerce e sites to then redistribute that stolen product. Whereas a simple shoplift would be more of a, you took it and mostly it's you're using it for your own personal consumption as opposed to reselling it or trading it. And I think most of our listeners will know, but just to clarify then, so shoplifting is, we're talking about a misdemeanor level, class one misdemeanor, and organized retail theft, is that a class four felony? That is a class four felony in the state of Arizona. And I guess I should clarify, shoplift as well could be a felony depending on the amount stolen, is that right? There are some felony shoplift provisions depending on the amount the manner. Additionally, you could be charged with shoplifting as a class four felony if you have multiple prior convictions for shoplifting, and this has been a, a repeat pattern or behavior. So there's a few different ways that a shoplift could become a felony. 
But generally, when we're talking shoplift, starting out as a misdemeanor, and if we're talking organized retail theft, we're jumping straight to that that class four felony. Okay, and then Mike, can you talk just from the retailer's position then? What is our biggest concern here? Is it more of the sh simple shoplifts, or is, it, or there, is that a significant loss that the retailers are incurring, or are we more concerned about this organized retail theft or the organized crimes that we're seeing? Well, from a retail's perspective, I think any theft is concerning, but the organized retail crime aspect is very concerning for retail in general. That's why we brought together not just our company, but multiple retailers, multiple law enforcement, along with prosecutors to address this crime. And like you mentioned earlier, in the beginning, maybe 50 plus billion dollars a year is impacting retail. Yes, we do take it seriously. That's why we have an organized retail crime team in Kroger, where we have investigators across our enterprise of stores to investigate these type of crimes. And like I said, work with other retail investigators, law enforcement prosecutors to move these cases forward. And have you seen, you said you've been working with Kroger for about 10 years, is that what you said? Yes, sir. And over those 10 years, have you seen changes in the organized nature of some of these crimes? Have you seen increases in the in the amount of loss that Kroger and, and the other businesses you work with that they're incurring? Yeah, it's just been a steady increase in my 10 years with Kroger on that, with it being very prevalent within the last maybe three to four years. And those numbers continue to climb each year on that part. So like the fencing locations where there's brick and mortar or it's e-commerce, there's multiple outlets that our boosters can use to go resell the product, basically what they've uh, stolen from our stores. And so I know you mentioned e-commerce. Does it seem like, I mean, it's become a lot easier over the last, you know, 10, 15 years for somebody like me. If I, if I get done with, I don't know, a, a gaming system or something like that, and I want to sell it over whatever secondhand market, does that ease for me equated to an ease for criminals to, to resell things that they've stolen from your stores? Absolutely. You know, you can hide behind your computer, wherever it's at, or your phone. We've had cases to where, you know, folks are advertising product from an aisle of our store looking to resell it. So yes, these e-commerce -plat uh, e platforms, yes, provides a, a place where the, the booster or the criminal can hide behind without being anonymous. Has that changed your job very much? Do you find that now you don't, it's not just that you're watching your store to see how you can protect the items there, but do you actually get involved with some of these e-commerce sites to see what you can do to ensure that on the back end, your things that were stolen from your store aren't being sold? Yes, we monitor all e-commerce sites when it comes to, uh, you know, our product on that. You know, we're looking with partnerships on the e-commerce side too as part of our investigation to identify these, uh, you know, these criminals that are operating on these e-commerce sites. And I've heard you mention several times about partnerships, and, and Doug, you also talked about working with different organizations. Have there been any new laws that have encouraged or mandated some of this partnership or these this coordination, or is this mostly just kind of happening on your guys' own on the back end as you start seeing each other more and getting to know each other better? You know, certainly some of it is, is organic, but in, uh, so 2021, July of 2021, the Arizona State Legislature created a task force at the Attorney General's office and appropriated, I believe, $1.5 million to the that task force to to help. And in part, that became necessary because of well, we saw increased trends where criminals, they don't obey jurisdiction or boundaries. They don't say, I'm only going to shoplift from a, a Fry's store in Mesa. They're, if they're shoplifting, and and I should maybe rephrase instead of shoplifting, but if they're stealing from 
from Fry's. They're probably stealing from Walmart. They're stealing from Target. They're stealing from Home Depot, from Lowe's, from a wide variety of stores. But they're also going outside of these various cities. And they're not afraid to go all the way down to Tucson and even all the way up to Flagstaff, you know, out to Globe. So they're covering multiple counties. And as part of some discussions with the, her name is Michelle Ulmer, who's the president of the Arizona Retail Association. We started moving forward, trying to get a task force created. And yeah, thankfully the, the Arizona legislature did create a task force that is housed at the attorney general's office so that it can cover statewide. And then likewise, within Maricopa County, County Attorney Rachel Mitchell, when retailers expressed the the concern about ongoing trends and how stores might have to be, be closing or shuttering hours, various things, Rachel Mitchell took great, she acted quickly and, and created essentially an organized retail theft task force here within Maricopa County Attorney's Office. And so I'm part of that task force with the Maricopa County Attorney's Office and have been coordinating with the Attorney General's Office and with the retailers and law enforcement across the valley to really information is is the key. The more information we have and the more information that is shared, the better we can then get the bigger picture of what's going on. It's easy on a single case to say, okay, they stole a few bottles of Tide or a few cans of formula. On a basic level, one incident may not be that big of a deal, but when you get the bigger picture and you can see that they've stolen a few cans of formula a hundred different times across every jurisdiction within the county or in, and even in Pinal County and up in Yavapai and Coconino County, you get a much bigger picture and it paints a different story about the extent of it and what their involvement is. And so the greater information, the greater we're able to build a case and then hold them accountable and you know do what we need to do to try and protect these communities. And I guess, again, it's important to recognize here, you mentioned different jurisdictions that typically a shoplift, as long as it's charged as a class one misdemeanor, would be handled not at the county level, but at a city level or possibly the justice courts, depending on who investigated it. But most often it's going to be a city level. But then you're talking even more than just aggregating at the county. You're saying that some of these groups or individuals are then even going intra-county between different counties and, and committing these crimes. And so that task force is helpful. And Mike, I think I heard you mention earlier that you actually are over Kroger from a larger perspective than just Arizona, but even nationally. Have you seen the benefit of collaboration? And, and do you have any examples of, of times when collaborating, whether with prosecutors or with other stores or, or law enforcement, has enabled you to be more effective at your job and, and finding and, and prosecuting these criminals? I'm going to go back to the easy orca out of Arizona, but there's multiple orcas around the U.S. So we're using that as one of the tools to collaborate uh, among law enforcement, retail investigations. So that's been a big plus in this last uh, year, year and a half, that uh, multiple, like I said, across the U.S. Uh, have stood up to organ, you know, organize retail crime associates on that. So that's been a great tool of sharing of intelligence and information across not just state boundaries, but across from coast to coast when it comes to that type of thing. So I've got an example here. If you'd like me to show a recent uh, Kroger case and I can share with you how that might work. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Yeah, we had a recent uh, case out of Chicago that was led by Kroger or C manager up there in partnership with multiple 
local, state, and federal law enforcement, as well as uh, multiple other retailers on that investigation. So it was about a year-long investigation, which uh, you know led to not just the Chicagoland area, but also into California, into New York, and other locations. So anyway, how this uh, this investigation uh, this recently came to a resolution where there was uh, multiple, like I said, multiple law enforcement, multiple search warrants served in these those three states on that part ended up in over a $7 million seizure of product that was recovered by the, the law enforcement retail investigation team. So this is just a one example of how the partnerships have built this not locally, but across nationally on that to attack and combat organized retail crime. Wow. And so when you're talking $7 million, I mean, where, where do you even store that kind of product? I mean, I don't, I don't know what like a typical Kroger store has in its inventory, but I mean, $7 million has to be a, a significant amount of, of inventory. How, where do they store that? And what kind of products are we talking about? Well, there's multiple business locations, warehouse locations, residential locations, where, uh, which were with story, all this stolen products. So the products were health and beauty. Uh, like I said, Doug mentioned formula, Tide, those type of things, razors, any type of things that could be stolen and resold quickly on the open market, you know, in the fencing locations that we identified, this is how it all came together. I heard both in Doug's example and in your example, I think you guys both mentioned California. Obviously, California has been in the news a fair amount recently. I mean, I've seen several viral videos of people walking into either CVS or Walgreens stores or just filling up trash bags full of items, maybe some of those health and beauty items that you're talking about, Mike. I've read, you know, and there's news accounts of stores, major retail stores reducing hours, citing specifically to some of the losses that are being incurred in these retail theft instances. This weekend, I just read about another company, Cotopaxi, which is apparently a high-end outdoor retailer since it's high-end. I've never been there, but they closed their San Francisco store and again, specifically cited theft-related crimes and how they'd been targeted multiple times in, in the short period of time they'd been opened there, and they just left. And so I guess I wanted to talk a little bit about what are the differences between California and Arizona that kind of keep some of those crimes from coming here, or maybe we're seeing the same problems. You know, I can't say that I'm, I'm well-versed in California state laws, but one thing that makes a big difference is going back a few years ago, you had several county attorney or district attorneys in California that made it publicly known that they were not going to prosecute property crimes and they cited to shoplifting type incidents that they said, you know, we want to focus on the the more violent and, and other criminal acts, which certainly is understandable. No one wants violence in their community, but by doing that emboldened individuals that, oh, well, if they're not going to prosecute, then I can go in and, and take what I want. I know also not quite California, but New Mexico has some similar statutes, but they, I think their felony threshold is $2,000. And in speaking with various retailers, essentially that just means retailers are giving out to $2,000 to those that want to go in and take it. And not much is being done to hold them accountable. In Arizona, they're fairly similar, but Arizona certainly in its application of it, we have at least within Maricopa County, we have a county attorney who understands the need for accountability. We have an attorney general in the legislature who has created this task force to address this growing concern. 
such that we we don't get out of control. We don't want to become known for having high high crime. And it is not just the crime, but it's there's a lot of other factors for it that you know, if you're losing, you know, a billion dollars in the state of Arizona to to organize retail theft loss in a year, that's equating to tens of millions of dollars in lost tax revenue to then counties and cities. And so to the extent that you know, even some smaller cities, maybe they're missing out on $50,000 of lost tax revenue. Well, that $50,000 could mean quite a bit of infrastructure. It could mean better roads. It could be a full employee salary. It could be lots of different things, new stoplights. And so the fact that where you're missing out on that money, local and county and state governments are now realizing that property crimes is something they really need to take serious and that there is value in holding people accountable because we don't want to essentially give individuals a, a free check for whether it's $1,000 or $2,000 or whatever that that threshold is by announcing that you're not going to prosecute those kinds of crimes. You just encourage it. We want the opposite effect here in Arizona. We're hoping that individuals will get the word out that we do prosecute these kinds of crimes and that they'll tell others that, hey, it, every time I go into a store and I, I'm stealing stuff, Turns out I'm getting arrested and I'm getting held accountable. You know, maybe it starts out as a misdemeanor for a few times, but once they start getting felonies and or having to serve time and they're paying that restitution back, hopefully they're thinking twice about actually stealing from stores in Arizona and that we can keep control and keep a little bit more law and order as well as keep some money in our pockets for county and city governments. Not to mention the savings to consumers and people that go to those stores to to purchase items. Absolutely. If I hear what you're saying, I guess I'll just add, I think the National Association for Shoplifting Prevention, their numbers, they say people are only arrested one out of every you know 49 times that they commit a shoplift. And so if we can reduce that number to get some people to be a little bit more worried about committing it in the first place, then maybe we could save some of the money that you're talking about. But But overall... It sounds like you're saying there's kind of two factors when we're talking about both the investigation and then prosecution of shoplifting or organized retail theft-related crimes. And one of them is the laws that they have. And there there might be some of those differences between Arizona and California specifically related to the organized retail theft aspect. But maybe more importantly, what, what you're sounds like you're focusing on, if I'm not misunderstanding, is how those laws are then applied can make a big difference. And I think you're right. I think there were at least two district attorneys, one in LA and one in San Francisco, that either severely limited the amount of prosecutions they were going to engage in, or specifically in LA, I think they just said, we're not going to prosecute this kind of crime anymore. Yeah. And and that's exactly that. They did announce that they weren't going to prosecute it. And that district attorney's office has now taken that back and said, it's gotten actually really bad. And so now they've started to enforce it, but they're playing catch up and trying to hold people accountable when they've said that they weren't going to. And real quick, Jake, I I wanted to to touch back on uh, information. You you bring up how the the National Association talks about maybe we're only catching them one in every 40 to 50 times they might commit a crime. Well, that goes back to information sharing. The greater information that we can share between municipal prosecutors at a city level, between county prosecutors on the county level, between prosecutors on a state level, as well as the retailers, you know, they are able to see all of these events across all of their stores 
in multiple counties, Arizona is lucky that we have a, a much greater collaboration that over the last few years, we have increased the amount of information sharing between retailers, law enforcement, and prosecution so that hopefully we're capturing instead of one in maybe 40 to 50, we're going to capture one in 20. And therefore, you know, if we can capture that, we're able to, again, build better cases. We're able to get restitution for those stores, but then we can hold people accountable and we can change that, that hopeful outcome and protect the retailers, protect that economic base. And additionally, in smaller communities, as, as maybe smaller communities, they have a tougher time weathering those big financial storms. A, a larger retailer might be able to suffer a greater loss and can increase prices. But some of these smaller retailers that are within the, the communities, a smaller, what we call mom and pop shops, are not able to financially weather those storms. And then what happens is they close their business and then they have vacant property. So there's blight, there's additional crimes that happen. You have squatters, you have additional violence that can happen. And so it just creates further decay in that community and places an additional burden on those community members who relied on that store for their provisions. And now they have to go greater distances, incur greater costs, and not to mention the, the additional crime that it might bring to their community. Hey, Jake, if I could jump in here a minute, we're talking about the economic impact of organized retail. I got some local Arizona numbers I'd like to share with you. Oh, that'd be that great. Part, if that's good. RELA, which is the Retail Industry Leaders Association report, that just published that, you know, each state they went through and the impact of organized retail crime. Well, Arizona in 2021, over 1.3 billion in losses and sales leads back to organized retail crime. Over 14,000 jobs lost and over 766 million in lost wages. So Doug was talking about the economic impact, you know, small to, you know, to our larger communities on that part, but this is also affecting jobs and sales tax and all those things of lost wages. So it really, really impacts all areas of the economic side of our uh, residents in Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I didn't realize that the number in Arizona was so high. That's, that's kind of amazing. And, you know, talking back to what Doug mentioned before about lost tax revenue for the cities and counties in the state. I mean, I think Mesa at least is sitting right around 10% in, the, in taxes. So if you lose $1.1 billion across the state, assuming everybody's right around Mesa's overall sales tax number, then, I mean, that's $100 million. And that's, that's a pretty significant chunk. Whether it goes that part, portion that goes to the state, portion goes to the county and the city. Well, you know, we've been, we've been a little bit bleak maybe over the last little bit, kind of talking about some of these problems and the, and the magnitude with the number. Maybe just for a few minutes, we can kind of turn to a slightly happier or hopeful, I guess, outlook. What is it that we expect to see here in the future? Or maybe we can start with you on this one, Mike. What is it that you, your organization is pushing towards to try to make some changes here? I know you've been talking about an upward trend, but is there anything that you guys hope to do to change that? Well, I think the constant theme here, today's call that uh, we've talked about is, uh, you know, the collaboration and the networking and the sharing of information. And that's what we're excited about. Talked about the new task force at the AG's office and along with the Maricopa County, the task force and bringing all these resources together to combat organized retail crime. So I think that all that overall teamwork, partnerships, collaboration, I'm excited about that. I know Doug is, I know our partners here, but this is not only in Arizona, but this is across the, the nation that states are coming together using all those resources and information sharing, combat uh, organized retail crime. So 
I'm truly excited about that. Our company is excited about that and uh, looking forward to much more on a positive side, you're saying, make an impact. And is there something called the INFORM Act that, that's working its way through? Is that a state level or is that a federal level? Well, it's kind of both. At least at the federal level, the INFORM Act, it's got to do with e-commerce and the vetting of the, the sellers on the platform on that part. Make it simple so folks can understand what it's all about. So I know that's currently under consideration. And hopefully uh, that would pass. But I know Arizona in the coming legislative year, we're looking at passing our own state inform act also on that part. So at least we maybe, if the federal doesn't pass, we will have that in Arizona to start working with as another tool. And Doug, what what do you see foresee in the, in the near future? Any changes in law or or in the legislature that you think might make a difference here, whether pro or con from your perspective? Are there any changes that you see on the horizon? You know, in my day-to-day job, I I don't deal with a lot of the legislative stuff. I know there's been some push for some legislative reform to change felony theft levels to, like, say, $2,000. But on the, you know, trying to stay on the positive side, as Mike mentioned, the information sharing, the collaboration between all of the groups. Right now, we're enjoying great collaboration. You know, I work alongside individuals at the attorney general's office. I work alongside great people here in Maricopa County Attorney's Office and have established great connections with law enforcement and with retailers. What we're hoping is that we'll we'll get the word out that crime does not pay and that you will be held accountable. You know, certainly rehabilitation, we want people to address whatever issues to the extent if there's a drug issue, you know, oftentimes we try probation, but if if they're not receptive to probation, if they're not receptive to reforming and conforming to societal norms, uh, they will be held accountable. I guess the, the positive side is is we hope that we can stabilize the economy within Arizona, that we can keep in retail specifically, retail employees employed to feed their families, that we can keep the retailers healthy, and that that might mean more stable prices across Arizona economy such that consumers, because all of us are consumers, don't have to worry about as great of inflation or price hikes. So if, if we're doing our jobs well and we're, we're able to combat the, the criminal element as it pertains to retail theft, ideally we're going to, to stabilize our economy and keep Arizona in a good position such that you know, the consumers will enjoy better benefits as well. And there, we're going to do a, a future episode on on diversion, but because you brought it up, you know, maybe just briefly, can, can you describe, you know, what a typical diversion would look like? I assume Maricopa County has some kind of diversion that you offer. I don't know if you can talk to what the cities do, but maybe discuss briefly who's eligible for that, what it would look like, if you know how much success that has. Yeah, just briefly. So Maricopa County does do a diversion program. A lot of first-time offenders and offenders who have lower level, you know, criminal charges like class five and six felonies, as opposed to say class two and three felonies. If if it, especially if it's drug oriented, you know, Maricopa County is trying to offer diversion to help individuals get counseling, substance abuse treatment. As part of the diversion program, they sign up able to attend various classes, uh, counseling, treatment specifically, and. The idea being that they can address the counseling issue, the substance abuse issue, so that they are removed from the criminal element. And if they're successful in completing their classes and doing what is asked of them as part of the diversion program, 
then the county attorney's office will dismiss with prejudice, meaning that we can never file that case again. And so we dismiss the case. And so they, they end up not having any sort of conviction, whether it's a misdemeanor or felony. Just recently, we're, we're trying to remove a little bit of some barriers that on individual cases where maybe they, they started and for some reason were not able to complete their classes, they weren't able to, to do everything. Unfortunately, we know that, that relapse is, is real. People do fall back in bad habits and substance abuse is, is a big problem. It is not an automatic disqualifier. We're trying to, to find ways that we can keep people in diversion and in get that counseling, get that treatment such that if, if they can get treatment, that they're not going to be back involved in the criminal courts. I don't know the, I don't have data on success rates, you know, whether it's 50 or 70, but from my understanding, it is a good percentage of people that do complete the diversion program, are successful, get their cases dismissed. Uh, as far as recommitting crimes, I think it's a it's a pretty high rate of individuals that once they complete a diversion program, looking you know two three years later, they have not been involved in the criminal justice system. So that's good. That's what we want. We don't want them involved in the criminal justice system. But I know the county attorney is is always looking at ways that we can you know think outside the box, think think of ways that we can try and resolve cases. The more repetitive it is in nature and higher dollar values, it starts to get a little bit more difficult. I know in part for our diversion program, the the restitution has to be a known number and the individual has to be able to pay like 50% of the total restitution amount up front and then have the ability to make payments on the remaining balance rather quickly. We are looking at different ways to still allow other individuals in diversion. We don't want to preclude anyone just because of they couldn't afford to take the class or they couldn't afford, you know, the, the counseling. I know the county has worked to, has gotten some grant money to pay for certain things so that hopefully the diversion program can be successful. And to those that are have completed it or that will complete it, you know, we really do wish them the best that we don't see them back in the criminal justice system. And so I think I lost focus on maybe what you were asking, but yeah, <laughs> we are trying to, to keep what we can out of the criminal justice system without you know, overburdening anyone. No, I, I think that's that's great. So, if, and if I could focus on like a diversion related to an organized retail theft, you mentioned that you could do those for like five and sixes level, you know, class felonies, but maybe not a two or a three as often. Would a organized retail theft class would that qualify for diversion? And besides restitution that you already mentioned, what would be required in that? A, a maybe a single event, limited number of events might qualify for diversion. What it is, we're, we're trying to look more at the person and, and what is their need, what is their risk assessment as far as their likelihood to recommit crimes, their likelihood to be rehabilitated. So we're looking at the individual, we're taking into account lots of different things. And some of that information would have to come then from their defense attorney about their prospects for rehabilitation. And then again, with the restitution, really what, what that would look like. And I know we've talked a little bit about, for example, in the DUI realm, you know, a lot of people take the the mad impact or the mothers against drunk driving and there's a class and there's a fee that's associated with it to help them understand the impact. We don't have the same kind of impact class for organized retail theft yet. Maybe that's something that, that will come together, but it, they do take, they, they go through screening process 
to help them, I guess, understand and discover more about themselves and then what counseling and treatment would be best suited, whether that's a cognitive skills class, whether that's parenting class, whether that's a financial class. So there's there's a couple different classes that are offered. And so depending on their assessment and their screening, then the, the classes are, are tailored towards them. A few different factors, there's I think anywhere between 10 and about 16 different counseling sessions or classes that they have to do. And if they're able to successfully complete all of their classes, that program, uh, they get a certificate and then we get notice and, and we dismiss the case. And Mike, I'll, I guess I'll just ask you about restitution. Doug mentioned a couple of times restitution there. What what does restitution mean for these retailers and, and how is that helpful for you all? Well, it's really important to the retail to, for the, you know, to collect and hopefully uh, at least to recover some of our losses were related to organized retail theft on that part. So yeah, it's an important part. Doug has been a real advocate for the retailers from the county attorney's office when it comes to our cases that uh, we've worked closely with him on to require the restitution from the defendants on that part. And uh, yeah, we'll take it in whatever amounts. It may be $10 a month, it may be $50 a month, but getting something back from our, that would to kind of reestablish you know, our losses on that type of thing is very important to us as a retail. Well, thank you both so much for joining with us today. It's been really helpful to understand both from a, a legal and a prosecution perspective and also from both, you know, Mike, I, I consider you a representative kind of law enforcement, quasi-law enforcement and the victims of, of these crimes, which sometimes I know we don't really consider corporations as victims, but under Arizona law, obviously they are. And I, I appreciate both of your perspectives. I, I'll give you each just a, a minute or two if you want to have a last word. And But thank you for coming. Doug, do you have anything else you want to add? No, just, just thank you. I do appreciate the collaboration between retailers, law enforcement. And that's probably what, what I'm most excited about is the continued collaboration and information sharing so that we can capture the, the big picture we can understand. And the better we understand what's going on and who's involved, I think the better we can then hold them accountable and take the appropriate action to to keep our community safe and do what's right by by our citizens of both Maricopa County and the state of Arizona. Mike, was there anything you wanted to add or anything you think that important that we missed? No, Jake, I'm going to say I appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about organized retail crime today and kind of share the impact, well, what it has on the retail part. But like Doug is talking about all the collaboration, all the, the, the different tools that's been provided for Arizona. You know, Arizona is at a good spot. Like I said, I cover multiple states and uh, we're lucky to have the task forces from the EG and from the county level now to help partners with uh, law enforcement and the retailers on these type of investigations. So thanks again. I appreciate your time and uh, having the support today. All right. Thank you to you both. And Thank you for joining us on this other episode of Guilty as Charged. We hope that you'll continue joining us in future episodes. And as always, if you have any ideas for a, a future episode, please reach out and let us know. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Guilty as Charged. Please subscribe to our podcast to get more great discussion about law and crimes specific to Arizona. And also get access to Arizona Supreme Court audio. You can find Jake on Twitter at Jacob Brown AZ. 